Hello, it's Ash. Welcome to the Flicks and Scoops podcast, where I'm forcibly welding ice cream and films together. I get my guests to select a film, I concoct an ice cream based on the film, and then I talk to my guest about the film, ice cream, and anything else in between. This time I'm back in Scene Bean country to prattle on with Ian from a seat in Sheffield about the wine-soaked With Nail and I. Here's your friendly spoiler warning. If you haven't seen With Nail and I, then it would be useful for you to do that before listening to this episode. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again, or I'll knock your block off. So pour a drink, wallow in your own sorrow, just make sure to enjoy Flicks and Scoops, episode 9. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Alright. Flicks and scoops. Flicks and scoops. Smile. <laughs> Smile on the face already. Good. Good attitude. Uh, this edition of the Homecoming Queen episodes, I'm accompanied by another childhood friend. This particular friend happens to make up one half of the foodiest couple in Sheffield. They run the Instagram page, A Seat in Sheffield. The other half realised that... Um, this was a terrible idea and wouldn't touch it with a shitty stick. <laughs> but luckily, my, my old pal's taken pity on me here. So please welcome to the show the only person I know who can pneumatic drill a David Brent quote into any situation, <laughs> Mr. Ian Coleman. Woo! Hello. <laughs> How are we doing? You good? Yes, very good. Thank you. Yeah, Happy to be here. Nice. Great to see you, man. It's been a while. It's been a long old while, mate. I think it's been about 10 months, hasn't it? A long time since I've seen you in the flesh. Yeah. Have you been dealing with the absurdities in the world? Um, As well as you can do, really. I mean, in terms of, you just mentioned, obviously, the Instagram account. So that, that's gone quite smoothly through it all uh, because, obviously, a lot of places have been doing takeout since March anyway. So we've just kept the account running through that, really. So, yeah, it's, it's going all right. And you've been working from home, or you've been trying to get into the office? Um, I was working from home till sort of mid June, and now I've been back in the office since. Not wanting to kill each other. <laughs> she, <laughs> Not I, a happy home life. <laughs> she she always wants to kill me, uh, but I sort of get by with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but I imagine it's been tough not being able to frequent the local eateries in Sheffield not just for the for the account that you run but for personal pleasure um yeah it has because the the reason that we set the account up in the first place was just simply you know having a chat and saying how much we love the city that we that we live in and especially how much we love eating and drinking out um so to not be able to do that as we usually would has been quite quite difficult yeah yeah and how are the places faring in Sheffield? Have a lot of them been shutting down or are they hanging on? Um, I think a lot of them have been hanging on at the moment. I think that's probably the right terminology, to be honest. Um, I th- yeah, I think they're hanging on. So I was worried um, places like, for example, Cutlery Works, which mm. I'm sure you've, you've eaten at, uh, it worried me at the start because they said, uh, we're closing our doors and we hope to see you again. So that word hope worried me a little bit. Uh, but they've opened back up and, you know, kind of all the places we've gone to have, have opened up again. So, mm. yeah, I think they're hanging on, yeah. 
And what's it like when you go inside? Standard practice where you have to wear a mask on entry and then it's fine when you sit down. It is now, yeah. Um, over the last month or so, they've they've uh, brought the masks in upon entry until you sit down. Yeah, for a little while actually, it wasn't even that. You just went in without a mask. Yeah, for for about I think two months or so, it was you know just going as normal. Oh, good. I'm surprised. Uh, they, at they that. were separated. Obviously, there was there was a bit of distancing with the tables. Mm. Uh, but the the mask on entry wasn't there, but that's now been reinstated. So okay, yeah, it felt way more on top coming back here than it was in in Germany. Mm-hmm. So what's it like out there? Uh, pretty similar. You have to write down your address, name, phone number mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. Yeah. Otherwise, pretty chill to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Just to clarify for the listeners, Ian and his girlfriend, girlfriend. Are we 14? <laughs> Life partner? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they run the Instagram page, A Seat in Sheffield. That's A Seat in Sheffield. Not to be confused with the car dealership, Seat in Sheffield. Does that even exist? Um, if it doesn't, it should do. I would like to lay claim to that name right now if it doesn't. Um, anyway, they they go around Sheffield finding the best places to eat and recommending dishes. Um, how did you get started with it all? Was it something that you specifically set out that you wanted to do or did it just kind of happen? To be honest, it was one of those, Ash, really. Um, we, it was sort of four years ago now. We love the city that we live in and we love eating out and... We kind of found ourselves taking taking photos of the food and whatnot, and you know, shall we start an Instagram account? Do you think people would be interested? And it sort of gained traction from there. So, uh, yeah, it, it certainly wasn't a sort of planned thing, really. It was just, shall, shall we do it and let's see how it goes. So, yeah. But do you have an end goal for it? Um, an, an end goal, not really. I mean, the end goal was what it's become already, really, which is just that um, you know, get a, get a good few people following, which it has done, and and that's it. And and I think people seem to enjoy it. Uh, you know what we do. It, it could be better. It could be worse. So yeah. Have you ever thought about doing a food blog? Or yeah, something yeah, like that? we definitely have. Yeah, um, I've mentioned that a few times. Uh, there are a few uh, local accounts that do uh, blogs along with the photos, and it seems to gain a lot more appreciation, a lot more reach than we have. So yeah, it's definitely something that we're considering. Yeah, in yeah. the future. Cool. Well, uh, Ian's already been plying me with craft beer <laughs> it's something I know nothing about is that something you'd be looking to get into as well um, with with a seat in Sheffield probably not uh, it's something that I started to look at in the early early days of it you know making it a bar thing as well and I just didn't think it, it really worked for that account but uh, for me personally maybe a separate account is something that I might I might start thinking about because it's something I love. You know, I do love drinking as we all do, um, and the film applies to that as well. So, well, they're all the rage now as well, aren't they? These um, home home breweries and craft breweries and stuff like that. Yeah, it's almost a bit too ubiquitous now, really, isn't it? It's 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 all over the place now, isn't it? There's a lot um, of wankers. Yeah, involved. yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, as I say, I do I do love. I do love a drink, uh, and I love especially the sort of craft beer stuff. So it's something I might look at uh, expanding. He says, "Do I drink?" <laughs> <laughs> I 
Are you uh, are you two foods at home? Do you tend to cook a lot, or um, is it more the going out so experience? I was, was going to say, um, that, you know, one of the reasons I started taking photo food is because I can't cook, uh, whereas <laughs> Ella's excellent at cooking. Um, so yeah, I can't. She can. <laughs> What's the specialty? What's the house specialty? Um, she's she's excellent to be honest. She can do many things. Um, probably she does a great sort of knocky dish um, that we have sort of once a week. To be honest, so yeah, probably that. Moving on to the ice cream, I'm going to eat my okay yeah. <laughs> because yeah, like, I've, gonna, I've already had a few. It's going to be all over your carpet. Um, <laughs> where where would you say is the best ice cream in Sheffield? There are a few places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably going to be quite predictable. Um, I think Arkel Molly is excellent. Um, they do a, I think it's a tiramisu one. All right. I think. Uh, and that's superb. Uh, but we actually went down to the Froken Up Place in Dyson's Place the other week, just a few weeks ago, put that on the account. Uh, and that was vegan ice cream. Uh, and they actually put it in a coconut, half coconut, and that was—that's probably the best I've tasted. I've seen that one actually. Um, they usually have a couple of decent vans at Pedal Market, and yeah, Froconut being one of them. Okay, which I've so, had before. Yeah, I haven't had it down there, but I—I I thought that was they, they did. Um, so it was like a chocolate ice cream with a big slab of crunchy in the top of it, mm. and it was just. I probably had that one. I always pick chocolate usually. Yeah, but it's changed a lot the the ice cream scene because when I lived here, the options were so limited that we'd have to go to the cinema. Going to the cinema was a big deal because yeah. they had Ben and Jerry's. And I know it's not like the height of artisanal ice cream, but just being able to get a different flavor from chocolate fudge brownie yeah. was was a treat. But it but it kind of was at the time, wasn't it? Mm. It was the only sort of in. To uh, to ice cream at that time was to have it at the cinema. Really, it wasn't it wasn't sort of around, was it? No. Are you much into ice cream? I am. Um, I I'll be honest. I mean, probably come to it later, but it's not sort of my my sort of snack of choice, if you like. This podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's. It, I think ice cream is something. If if it's on sort of a, a dessert menu, for example, it stands out. I quite like ice cream after a meal, as strange as it sounds. Um, it's not so sickly. Yeah, exactly. I think. Yeah. But especially it's not like get... a snack for me. But... Yeah, not so much a snack, but especially like a sorbet. Yeah. It's a nice like after, yeah, exactly. after dinner like palate, sort of palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I better just give a rundown of this ice cream mm-hmm. with a gob full of it. Um, the flavour for this episode is damson and gin. Um, the reason for the flavour is because Ian wanted to talk about with Nail and I. So, of course, I had to have some sort of alcohol in it. And the logic behind the damsons is because the in the film they go to the Lake District. And the Lake District is famed for its damson orchards, which I didn't know until I googled it. <laughs> they even have a damson day festival in April. Well, okay. I don't know what would happen at a Damson Day Festival, but... I don't know, I see a lot of frilly stuff and whatnot. I don't know. A lot of fruit. <laughs> uh, so gin and damson is a, is a nice pairing. Are you liking it? Oh, it's really nice, yeah. Well, you good. can be honest, you don't have to just say no, it. No, 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 certainly not, no. Um, really good. I'm going to have another scoop in a minute. 
But uh, the gin's really coming through nicely in that as well. You get a lot of that flavour. Uh, it's not too sickly. Again, it's not too sweet. I don't like my ice cream too sweet. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's perfect for me, that. It's probably the third or fourth time I've tried with alcohol in ice cream. Mm. And this is the best texture-wise that mm. I've done. Because alcohol's got a different freezing temperature, so sometimes it's difficult to get it balanced with the rest of the ingredients. Okay. Is there a particular alcohol that's the most difficult, or does it matter? Uh, I did a, I did one with wine not too long ago. <laughs> that, was, that was a bit of a ball ache. But I also put crickets in that one, so... <laughs> probably, wine probably wasn't the worst thing in that. Um, uh, I don't want that one being brought around. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a bit of background, anyway. Ian and I grew up in a little village on the outskirts of Sheffield where... There's not much to do other than play sport when the weather's good or mm-hmm. underage drink and yeah. watch films. So we've done plenty of all of those together. Very fond memories of kicking his ass at cricket and tennis. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> and of course watching films and prattling around in cinemas was always good. Yeah, it's been really fun coming back because... Well, I, I was saying I had Lindsay on yesterday, so that was nice to reminisce. But mm. when I was putting stuff together for this one, I was cracking myself up because do you remember the watched in 60 days that oh, we did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many days in did we get? <laughs> so, you, you give it you give background. Well, it was it was it was based on the early 2000s film Gone in 60 <laughs> Seconds. <laughs> that piece of trash <laughs> with Nick Cage and Angelina Jolie and. Vinnie Jones, when he was the hot ticket in Hollywood. And the premise is that they have to steal 50 Primo cars in, what is it, like five days or something? Something like that, yeah. isn't it, yeah. And they've got all, this high, all these high-tech ways of hiding the list of cars, like UV lights and all this malarkey. Mm-hmm. So being the impressionable youngsters that we were, Ian and I made a list of <laughs> 60 films <laughs> to watch in 60 days. <laughs> And we each had this list hidden in our bedrooms. I don't know about you, but I blue-tacked mine behind a poster I had on my door. Yeah. And then crossed them off as we went along. Yeah, mine was on the back of my door, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember my brother just taking the piss out of me for about (laughs) a week. I'm not surprised. Do you you remember why we were so secretive about it? Uh, Probably because we half realised how sad it was. Uh, I know my parents were were more strict uh, on what I watched than yours were, but I'm pretty sure they were paying absolutely no attention to what we were doing. No, no, definitely I was just laughing like, what an idiot, (laughs) going to all this rigmarole of like hiding the list. Yeah, I think we were watching like Terminator 2 on a a very small screen Toshiba (laughs) in my bedroom. (laughs) Exactly, it wasn't even like, I don't know, porn or something like, Explicit and salacious. <laughs> Explicit and salacious. Balls. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here and we want them now. I'm going to go into these questions now because I'm, like the film, I'm suitably pissed. Like, so all these craft beers. And <laughs> El- Ella's made, just made us a cracking espresso martini, which I'm a, a big fan of. It's, it's very good, actually. It's a good job. Um, so are you a flicker or a scooper? Um, I'd I'd say I'm a flicker, as you know. Really, I think um, 
more so than a scooper, <laughs> but I'm partial to a scoop. So I'd say full-time flicker, part-time scooper, I think. I like that you're the first person who's acknowledged what that question is and answered it accordingly. Oh, really? So, <laughs> well, I sort of get the, the title of your account, I think. It's been a subject of a lot of merriment, is my phraseology, because I've realised that outside of us lot and my family, people haven't got a clue what I'm, <laughs> what I'm talking about. I sound like an absolute idiot. So I've had to really tailor my voice and people have said that it sounds like I'm trying, it's like I'm a teenager trying to make it sound like my balls have dropped. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, which may be very accurate. Flicker or scooper. <laughs> um, so do you prefer a cup or a cone? Oh, it's got to be a cone. Every day of the week. But, but I, I'm very, it, it's got to be a waffle cone. Like a homemade waffle cone. High quality waffle cone. You, you, have you seen these ones on the seaside that are almost like flimsy cardboard? Or like you mean like be... in the '99 or something? Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like what was his name? The, the ice cream fan at ours on Brecken's Lane. What was his name? They were just the shoddiest cones I've ever seen. It's got to be a good. It's got to add to the quality of the ice cream rather than take away from it. Right. Are you big into the cones that have fillings at the bottom, like chocolate or something? Well, like a cornetto. Or a corn. I mean, cornetto would be the cheap version. Yeah. You could get an artisanal version that has maybe like proper chocolate at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, I'm game for that. Yeah. What is your favourite ice cream flavour? If you went to an ice cream shop and you got one flavour to choose in one scoop, what would you have? Just one scoop, is it? Yeah, it's got yeah, to be. Yeah, okay, so you've, you've ruined my answer a bit. Okay, <laughs> um, I'd say mint choc chip. It's always been that for me. But what was the second part to your answer uh, yeah so up. just just recently I've started to shake things up a little bit in the ice cream department and gone for a bit of a salt caramel as well but I just add it to a mint chocolate chip so when you go to the cinema is, um, is ice cream usually your snack of choice I'm gonna let you down here mate I'm afraid yeah mm. I'm afraid so um, I actually in the cinema I can't remember a single time I've picked ice cream are you a snacker at the cinema? Yes, but and it's it so it's it's pick and mix mainly pick and mix yeah because because you can you know you can slowly delve in throughout the film can't you whereas an ice cream you have got to get through it quite quickly mm. really you can't mess about if you're in there for once upon a time in America you're not gonna have a snack for about seventy five percent of it <laughs> I was wondering how long it was gonna be before you brought up once upon a yeah. time in America well you got to bring it up. <laughs> It's one of the best films of all time. You gotta bring it up. No, I appreciate that. But the thing I like about ice cream is that you have to eat it quickly. I don't like people rummaging and shuffling around yeah. in food bags. Yeah. But yeah, pick and mix isn't like popcorn where it's noisy to eat. Just grazing. Mm. It's too much. You know. I don't mind it if it's in a in a crap film, but yeah, if it's something you're really trying to focus on, I think popcorn is the most irritating snack in a cinema going and do you go to the cinema often I'm asking you this at an awkward time obviously when there's <laughs> bugger all going on but uh, yeah um, so I used to have the membership so I used to go sort of half a dozen times a month um, you know I'm like quite an avid film fan as well mm. um, uh, so we stopped we stopped the membership but we've continued since you know we we continue to watch quite a, quite a lot of films i'd say 10 or 12 films films a month 
Yeah. Uh, and try to keep up as much as possible as well. So contemporary film's quite important, I think. Yeah. I think you're quite lucky in Sheffield now because you've got a good choice of different cinemas. Obviously, with Cineworld recently closing all its yeah, UK and US Yeah, I just heard about things. that. I heard about that last week. So yeah. that's taken an option out. But you've still got a couple of the big chains and then Curzon and big love for the showroom. Mm-hmm. Should put out a public service announcement, maybe. Everybody descend on the showroom, oh, Sheffield. I mean... If you don't know about it, it's one of the best independent cinemas in the country. So, yeah. Keep independent cinema alive. <laughs> or d- descend on it safely, at least. <laughs> at least. Let's not have a Day of the Dead <laughs> situation. <laughs> at a safe distance, please. Yeah, please. Is that the one that you usually go to when you're in Sheffield? Well, I've started going to that Odeon Looks, to be honest with you. Okay. Just because um, I'm a real sucker for big seats and <laughs> it's just ridiculously comfy, isn't it? It's like sitting on your own sofa. I went there, I did go there once and I must admit they're pretty comfortable. Yeah. You almost don't feel like people are in there. It's great. You know, for an introvert like me, it's like no one's in there. The thing is though now, like viewing habits have changed with people watching films at home and stuff. What subscriptions mm. do you have? Um, what are you stubbed up to? God, what don't we have? We have Netflix, Prime, um, Now TV, you know, all of them. I like that people are actually putting money into it. It's, I suppose it's too easy to stream these days. Yeah. But I think at least if you're giving some money somewhere. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that the film industry would, would prefer money in different ways, but home viewing now is a big thing, and at least if you're... If you're pumping something into it, it's better than nothing, like you say. If I could give just a couple of recommendations. Movie's a good one. They have a really good selection of like art house stuff. Okay. But BFI have a good, a decent one. Yeah, actually, that's yeah. actually on our app store here. So I've seen that a few times. I've yeah. been thinking about signing up. Yeah, but how much would it give me as opposed to Netflix and Prime? There's a lot less mainstream stuff, but the quality of it is a lot better. Depends how much bullshit you watch. Okay. Coming back here, I've watched too much bullshit because I've I've been out of it for a while. So I've been hooking yeah. dinner dates. You've into been my watching veins. dinner dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you might. <laughs> Ash likes dinner dates, by the way. It's just ultimate trash TV, though. <laughs> Meshing the worst of one trash TV into the worst of another trash TV on no budget. Come on. You're not a fan? It just sounds like an excuse to me, man, for watching very poor telly. You must watch some shit TV, though, surely. I try not to. Piss off. I try not to. Okay, well, moving on to the film then. Okay. If he's not going to delve into his wanky viewing habits. Nah, no. Ian's chosen with Nail and I. Why did you choose this film? Well... It's, it's a fantastic film, isn't it, for a start? Um, but also, it's it's a personal favourite of mine. It's a personal favourite of my dad's and my brother's. You know, been many a times at Christmas where we've shouted out a quote from the film. Um, but I also read an article recently um, which said that it's the perfect film for post-Brexit Britain. And uh, the reason they said that is because it depicts a nation in spiritual crisis. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a really great line. And I actually think it's it's very true. Mm. You know, that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Um, and and I also like the idea that it's a film that was made in the 80s about life in the 60s that still applies to the here and now. I quite right. like that. 
And it only gained popularity in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so transcends yeah. Yeah, exactly. Decades. Yeah, so there's no time barrier, really. Yeah, right. And uh, obviously you feel that vibe more than I do. I suppose I'm sort of removed from the whole Brexit situation. Do you feel that relevance? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, well, I do because I'm quite frustrated by it. Um, I never wanted it. But, you know, I don't just mean that on not in a superficial sort of way, just in general, you know, we're, we're kind of at a sort of, we're a bit lost at the moment, I think, as a country. Brexit obviously comes into it, but just on the whole, really. Uh, and especially now with COVID coming into that as well. And I think a film like Withnell and I could be quite life-affirming for some people. Right. Do you remember the first time that you saw Withnell and I? I do, yeah. I was sort of, I think I was 13 or 14 years old and um, my brother, who's, you know, had quite a big impact on my life, um, he got he got the DVD from HMV for about £1.99 um, and it was lying around in the small bedroom upstairs, which is where I was sleeping at the time. Um, and I thought, £1.99, this has got to be shit. And I remember watching it and being more than pleasantly surprised. So, yeah, that was kind of the first time. And have you watched it a lot since? Half a dozen to ten times. Yeah, I, t- I, t- I try not to kill films. I, d- I try not to be too sentimental with films. So, especially a film like this that means so much to me, I don't want to sort of ruin it. So I just, if if the time sort of beckons or whatever, you know, I'll 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 get with Null and I out. But Ella actually reminded me recently of the, the latest time that I'd watched it, uh, which was a kind of cool story as well. Uh, and we were at Glastonbury, the last time Glastonbury was on, God knows when it's going to be on again. But um, they had a new field, which was called Cinemageddon. I know oh, you weren't there. Yeah. Um, which the whole idea with it was, was that it was sort of like a faux drive-in cinema. So the uh, you could book these cars, which was really cool. So like your group could book a car. Mm. There was about something like thirty cars in there, uh, and the showing was with Null and I, which was the first night. It was the Wednesday oh, okay, night, right. uh, and it was on at about two in the morning. And Johnny Depp opened it. He did, did a it? speech, yeah, oh, about shit. the impact that it's had on his life, you know, and everyone was cheering him and all that sort of stuff. And it, you know, it was great. Um, but then the film came on and we just got horrendously pissed uh, yeah. and giggled like school kids for two hours. And then we walked out into the Glastonbury night a whole lot more festive than we were before. Yeah. It was great. Really yeah, I didn't realise that's what Cinemageddon was because I'd been to the cinema bit of Glastonbury before. But then, because we went the last time it was on and it was Cinemageddon at the time, but we didn't go to it. I think if I'd have realised it was just oh, yeah. driving set up, yeah. I, I would have tried it. But I thought it was just a standard sit on a sit in the field in a tent watching the film. No, no, I think that's more the sort of Pilton Cinema one or whatever it is. Right. Pilton Palais, isn't it? <clears throat> that's the cinema, the the old school one. This oh, okay. is a proper, you know, sort of like I say, faux driving sort of thing. It was fantastic. It's really good. So it was like. Um, Pulp Fiction sort of thing, where you get in a car. Did, did they have waiters? They showed or? Pulp Fiction, by the did way, they? on the second evening. Buckets. <laughs> uh, but you sort of you had to book tickets for it though, you know, because it was thirty cars. Yeah, yeah. And so, you had to pay, or no, you didn't have to pay. No, you, just but you had to get, to get in. yeah, get in and get your tickets. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. yeah. It's probably the fourth time I've seen it. I remember trying to do the drinking game once, which obviously ended in tears, but. I had vague memories of 
scenes of play. So I'm not entirely sure where that came from. I'm thinking maybe it was a uni production. I saw, but I saw that Richard E. Grant and I think the director as well. Were, Bruce Robinson. Yeah, they yeah. were kicking off about it being made into a play. But then I read that it got made into a play in Manchester with their blessings. So I don't know where I'm mixing this up from. But. Yeah, I don't know if it was more that I think once the the film had sort of taken its place in history or whatever, if you like, that he didn't want people playing with its legacy afterwards. I'd seen that. They didn't, they, they were talking about putting it on the West End and he wrote to them and said, you know, uh, quite a sort of scathing response to it. You know, yeah, right. I don't want you to, to do so. What do you think it is about the film that makes it such a cult classic? Mm. Yeah. So... I think it's really, really difficult to say how and why a film becomes a cult classic, to be honest. I think that's a really tough question. Um, I think one of the things, surprisingly, is that to be to be considered a cult classic, often it has to be polarising because then its devotees become more devoted, if you like. Mm. And I think Withnall and I certainly is one of those. I've I've met a lot of people that dislike it, but but I think for me it's become so widely loved because the the characters are flawed, and I mean I certainly can can identify with each of them, and I think that's why it's become so widely loved. I think for me, it feels timeless. Apart from the cars and the lack of phones, there's nothing necessarily that anchors it in that age, even down to the clothes. There's only really Danny and his mate who dress in that yeah. sort of 60s yeah. style. And I think that probably makes it easier for people to relate to. Now, I mean, you mentioned earlier with the Brexit, we're still, oddly, in a two-party political system. And I think there's more people finishing uni and being out of work, and it's... It all still feels very relevant mm. to today. Yeah. Which is kind of scary, isn't it? You know, if you... A little bit, yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's... If we haven't moved on at all since then, I mean, I, I could imagine that Bruce Robinson would be quite disappointed that people are still relating their lives to Withnall and I <laughs> in 2020. Right. <laughs> but I suppose... I suppose Withnall is very... He's got a European sensibility about wines and the way that he carries himself. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Withnall um, is that he's actually comes from a very cultured background, doesn't he? They don't quite, they don't say it directly, but he's, it's quite clear that his parents and, well, his, you know, his lineage or whatever, they are wealthy. Mm. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that he knows his wines and, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Has the film had an influence on your life at all? Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's had an influence. I, th I think there have been times in my life where I've related the film to it, you know, but I, I, I wouldn't say an influence as such, no. If any film could, it would be that one. Uh, but it's, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, an influence would mean it's, you know, it's, it's taken my life one way or another, and I don't think it's done that. But th there have been times, uh, probably times that you've been involved in as well, Ash, where I've, I've definitely 
uh, thought about the film? Yeah, it's a heavy question, I realise. And I think some people obviously choose films for different reasons. Uh, What's your favourite scene? Yeah, that's... I mean, it's just full of wonderful scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you pushed me to choose one, I think it would be the standoff between Withnull and Danny over the um the embalmer. Right. Yeah. You know where he says, um, if I medicined you, you'd think a brain tumour was a birthday present and okay, all that yeah. stuff. I think it's gotta be that, yeah. What is it about that scene that makes you like it so much? Actually, well it's just outrageously funny, isn't it? <laughs> um and I've known a few people like that as well. Oh yeah? Yeah. <laughs> He looks so with yeah. <laughs> with a knowing gaze. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, there's the, the the other thing. You know, to to select a certain scene is one thing, but I also think Withnell and I does pathos better than any other film I've ever seen. I think take Withnell out of it; who's definitely a case of that. But um, Monty, for example, who's who's a character that's source of amusement and sort of humiliation throughout the film you know a wonderful character some of the best lines in the film you know the stuff of like as a boy i used to cry in butcher shops and, and all that sort of stuff and um talking about the carrot as a human phallus and all that you know it's, it's wonderful character and uh, but but the note that he leaves them at the end you know i i leave in the night that you know the same way that i came in and all that sort of stuff and um and uh, I hope that you don't go through your life the same way I do and all that. It's just, you know, a character like that, his eccentricities, it's because he's tried to hide who he is his whole life, you know, and I'd, that's the genius of Withnall and I for me. You know, human nature is brilliant. People trying to be something that they're not. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And yeah. it applies to more than just Monty as well, yeah. Probably not as not as highbrow, but <laughs> mine's the tea room scene. Okay. Miss Blanner has it. Call the police. It's too drunk some tea rooms. Um, I just love that old <laughs> colonel way of speaking or when the police officer yells, get in the van! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he, but he reminds me of the magical mystery, you know the Beatles film, yeah, Magical Mystery, yeah. the guy who's just walking around warbling nonsense and then randomly shouting like, Get in the van. Get in the van. Like, this is when he uses the um, the child's piss now to yeah. get through the test. Because yeah. there's a question later about favourite piece of trivia about the film, and I didn't choose it as my piece of trivia, but I'm mm. going to bring it up now as soon as you mentioned it. Okay. But there, was, there was an Italian long-distance runner who faced disciplinary proceedings for allegedly using a fake penis to beat a dope <laughs> test. <laughs> and they said it was uh, the allegation echoes a farcical scene from the film with no and I. Let's get a little bit deeper. Let's settle in now. Okay. Uh, do you find the realization that the countryside poses the same problems as the city poetic or miserable? Oh, man. <laughs> I think that's a really good question, but a very tricky one as well. Um, there's a really good line on that when Marwood when when they first arrive so they first arrive in the late district and he goes out he says he's going to go out and look for food and he knocks on that cottage 
and an old woman answers and she's a really grumpy old, you know, countryside sort of lady or whatever. And she basically tells him to sod off. Uh, and he's speaking to himself and he says, um, people in the countryside are, I forgot what it was, something like, uh, country people are no more receptive to strangers as city dwellers. And I think that that's, it's within about two minutes of them arriving or whatever. Um, and it basically sets the scene for the whole of their countryside stay, doesn't it? Mm. Is that it's just a shambles. Yeah. Um, whether I think you could call it sort of miserably poetic, couldn't you? Really, the the fact of the matter is that people don't change wherever they are, and I think that's what you get from their time in the countryside. It's it's pretty much a light for light situation. But that's that's marbled all over, isn't it? It's, it's so naive. He, he he so wants the situation in the countryside to be better than it is in Camden. He, he needs it so much that that's why he pushes it. But in reality, he knows that it won't be any different with yeah. Withnall. Uh, no, what, what are your thoughts? I, I, I agree with what you were saying about people don't change regardless of what settings they're in. I think it's kind of poetic. Of course, they quote Keats and Baudelaire quite a bit. So mm -hmm. they obviously see themselves as some kind of broken poet. But I think the realisation that Maybe it's not the surroundings that's the problem, but you yourself are the issue, and specifically how you engage with other people, or more, I guess, how little you associate with other people around you is the forlorn sort of woe is me situation. Mm. Yeah. Are you into Keats or Baudelaire? Um, I've, I've read both of them. I ask because um, I know you're uh, really into Smiths. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Morrissey in particular with Keats and Wordsworth, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I've read both of them. I wouldn't say I'm I'm a massive fan, but are you? I had a bit of a Baudelaire phase <laughs> with, with the Flowers of Evil and of course you did. <laughs> Paris Spleen. But I think that was just with me going to Paris so much, and I tried living the. Always be drunk, credo, by doing things like reading Baudelaire, for example. Or be, I was <laughs> oh, tried to be a yes man for a while. Of that's course. why. That's why I end up getting my nose pierced. I was going to say earlier, actually, I noticed the nose. Do piercing. you know what? I'm surprised that is it's that a midlife crisis <laughs> at 32. <laughs> I'm surprised it's taken you six hours to mention. Oh it. no, I noticed it. <laughs> I noticed it very quickly. <laughs> um, which character do you relate to? if any oh, or is there anything in the film that particularly resonates with you or reminds you of something in your own life uh, I'd like to say that I relate to Marwood the most um, the reason I say that is that I think I can empathise with someone that's hypersensitive uh, because often being that sensitive can be as debilitating as no compassion at all really um, so that's sort of my feeling on it uh, but the truth is I've, I've been with Null as, as well so I've been the sort of piss-head lout that none of his friends want around uh, and you've experienced that so <laughs> if I can't with you here pretend that I haven't been with Null can I? <laughs> we, we've all had a with Null phase exactly let's not lie but I think you're a very lovable with Null <laughs> why you're, is you're that? Not, you're not unbearable you're not unbearable well, you're not you're not an angry drunk 
You know what I mean? You never get violent or anything. No. I t- there are many stories that I won't bring up on this podcast that I, I could relate to a, a withnal. But... Yeah, I wouldn't say I necessarily relate to one particular character either, but I think this idea of being afraid of responsibility and adulthood, I can get on board with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the world, the, you were saying about maybe a particular scene um, and still now, well, in recent months, I can relate to uh, Marwood's despondency at the start of the film with the, the sort of hangover or come down. Uh, and I just, I love that line that I think it's something like a, a stopped clock tells the right time twice a day. Mm. And, you know, if, if you want to sum up how you feel when you've a Sunday morning or whatever, it's just perfect, I think. Yeah. Do you think if it was made recently and judged by today's standards, it the film would cause controversy? <sighs> was it particularly controversial at the time? I don't think so. Like, but the, I mean, disregard the spade comment altogether because I'm amazed that made it into the film anyway. But the the scene mainly that I was thinking about was when. Monty tries to make an advance on Marwood yeah, yeah, okay. and he's got the makeup on. And okay. the, the makeup's like the visual gag. Yes. And it's, yeah, you know, okay. in today's standards, it's not really yeah. that funny. It's like, okay, a dude's wearing makeup. Yeah, okay. I, did, I know that Richard Griffith has, uh, had since, uh, after the film, said that he was sort of ashamed of his portrayal because he had friends in the industry that were homosexuals. Okay. Um, but I thought you know controversial I don't know really it does work because you're not expecting it but I think the comedy comes from the fact that it's a guy in makeup rather than I don't know I suppose it's the physical threat of the situation yeah I know compared with the humour of him being in makeup yeah I can certainly see why people would be offended yeah what do you think is the relevance of the Hamlet quote at the end um, so... Come on, Mr. Shakespeare. <laughs> um, okay. The soliloquy, um, I, th- I think, firstly, that's that's one of the best pieces of acting I've probably ever seen, to be honest. I think in terms of the context of that film, Richard E. Grant plays it to absolute perfection. Um, in terms of what it means, uh, that's kind of the big question for any fan of the film, isn't it? It comes in a part of the play in Hamlet where he, where Hamlet is deliberating whether he kills Claudius or he kills himself. It's interesting, actually, um, that th- in the original script that they actually had with no killing himself, that he downed yeah. the wine and killed himself. Yeah, with a put wine and shotgun, right? Yeah, boss his head off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually prefer the ending that's left in the film anyway. But Robinson sort of thought that it'd be better, like his the, the sort of miserable existence, if he walks off into that rather than ends it. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think that th- that line, what a piece of work is a man, paired with the beauty of the world becoming dust, kind of sums it up. You know, that it's not the world that's the problem, it's us. 
Mm. It's mankind that's the problem. And I th- I think that's that pretty much sums up Withnell's character, really. Yeah, well. I'm glad that you specified the point in the play when it was. Because, yeah. all right, it harks back to an earlier line about him saying that you you wake up one day and you lose your ambition when you realise that you'll never play the Dane. Mm-hmm. But I took it to be a moment of optimism. I mean, Hamlet's probably the Shakespeare play that I'm least familiar with, but... I, I googled where that soliloquy, where that soliloquy yeah, comes course, up, yeah. and like you said, it's in the play when he it's after he spoke to the ghost, and it's when he's suicidal and pissed off when how all his mates have acted, which bears clear resemblance to to Withnell. And mm-hmm. Hamlet is coming to terms with the fact that he's going to avenge his father's death. Is yeah, it? is that right? Yeah. yeah. So I saw it more of a rousing call to arms, or one last throw of the dice sort of thing in turn. Okay. Like, Withnell's not given up on playing Hamlet just yet. Okay, yeah. I don't know. I know, I know you could see it the other way. I like that take on it, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather believe that he's thinking, screw these guys, I'll, I'll, I'm will i going to carry on doing whatever the hell I want and I will play Hamlet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see that. I like it. I respect yeah. that baller yeah. attitude. <laughs> I like the optimism in that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what if it was uh, Marwood who was holding Withnell back and not the other way around? Withnell's charismatic. Seems able to make shit happen, you know, in, a, in an underhanded way, but he's got a good hustle. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think he's certainly held Marwood back pretty much the whole film. I think... Yeah, I don't know. We've probably watched a different film. Because <laughs> for one hour 40 of it, it's certainly him holding the other back. <laughs> yeah, but no, I know what you're saying. I mean, that's a very interesting read of it, actually. That's a, you know, it's, it's something I hadn't considered. Maybe that is it. Um, you know, that it's... But I think his, his desperation in delivery would suggest not. It I was looks... just trying to play devil's advocate. I think it's very accurate that he's come to terms with the fact yeah. that he's never going to play Hamlet. Yeah. But... I mean, the fact that the original script had him <laughs> topping himself <laughs> means chances are... It says a lot. <laughs> no, I, know it's a, I, I think that's a great read of it. GCSE English, isn't it? Like, as long as you can back your point up, <laughs> say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> I, th- I think what we can both agree on is that that's a fantastic end of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Genius. No, no, I, I loved it. Yeah. Big fan. What do you think's the root of characters' failings? Maybe, for example, selfishness or ignorance, greed? Um, I think with Withnall, if, you know, if, you'll, if you'll excuse the platitudes, it'd probably be sort of putting off to tomorrow what you can do today, really. Um, so I saw a, a thing with Bruce Robinson where he was talking about the real Withnall. I forgot the name of the guy now. And he he used to say things like, uh, you know, if, if I was an artist, I'd be a far better artist than you and stuff like that. And um, he always said that, you know, he, he had all the talent but none of the drive. Um, you know, and it's, yeah, that's the sadness with Withnell, really. I, I get that the whole film is that there's something there, but he's just so, he's, he's almost too scared to to go for it. You know, so let's just get pissed again. Mm. Um, that was the sadness of his character for me. So you think he's holding himself back? Yeah, mm. yeah, I think so. Through what fear or? Yeah, 
Um, and and if you you sort of they allude to his history all the way through it, and I think he had a childhood that was very. Um, he had a lot of expectation on him. I think he was probably privately educated. Um, you know, which isn't a bad thing, but it's the perhaps his his parents and you know his whole family thought he'd be, you know, a thespian actor, mm. um, and if not that, something very successful. Um, yeah, so I think fear. I think, like you say, yeah, I think he's you know scared of failing to the point where he is doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then with with Marwood, I think it's probably just his naivety. Really, he's very green, isn't he? Okay. Like I said earlier, that you know, the suggestion that two broke actors from Camden could go to the countryside and find solace is it's a crazy idea, but he thinks it may work. So yeah, I think it's also going back to what you said earlier, trying to be someone that you're not. You know, you've got Monty trying to come across as a straight guy, even though he's got homosexual tendencies. Mm -hmm. There's Withnall, who is very aristocratic, yeah. but is trying to live this struggling artiste lifestyle. And then you've got Marwood, who's trying to go on to bigger and better things. Yeah. And it all seems like them trying to put themselves out of the comfort zone is what's holding them back, almost, instead of just being true to who they are. Yeah. Last up, what's your favourite fact or piece of trivia about the film? Yeah, so there's a few. Um, firstly, I would say Richard E. Grant being a teetotal non-smoker and playing a pisshead better than I could play a pisshead <laughs> when I'm pissed. <laughs> I think it's just, I mean, have you ever seen a better drunk played? No, I think the only one who comes close is uh, Mr. Is it McLeahy in Trailer Park Boys? Okay, yeah. He's okay. he's a really good on-screen drunk. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, no. Yeah, that's not far off, I must say. But the same way the police pull him over uh, for drunk, uh, you know, DUI is just stunning. You know, he's, I don't quite know how he acts that. You know, when they open the door and he sort of falls through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, genius. Um, but um, the other one, I was watching the 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 documentary With Nail and Us, uh, which if you haven't seen, if you're a fan of the film, you absolutely should watch that. It's about a sort of half an hour documentary on the making of the film and all the actors reunite and all that sort of stuff. Um, and there was a great um, piece in it from um, McGann, uh, who plays Marwood in the film. And he says that he was over in Canada, and I think it was just some like holiday he was on, and he was in the arse end of nowhere. He was absolutely pissing it down. It was pitch black. He had like his coat huddled over him, and he's walking. And he says that just out of like some doorway, just someone went, did you come on holiday by mistake? <laughs> it's just... You're just amazing. You know, it's travelled all that way, you know. Brilliant. Yeah, so stuff like that. What's your favourite? Great. Piece of I'd not, well, I'd not actually seen that, so I'll probably check it out after. Where yeah. did you watch it? It's on YouTube. It's on it? YouTube, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll have a look. Yeah, very good. For me, and I saved this one just for you, Ian. Okay. Uh, but George Harrison. Yes, yes, of course. Produced yeah. this through his handmade films company. Yeah. 
and he lists Richard E. Starkey, MBE, as, oh, as a special production consultant because he just visited set for a day. So it's a joke. <laughs> put, put Ringo in there. Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. I did know because it was... Um, it, Monty Python was his first, wasn't it? Uh, Wife of Brian. Yeah, was it? yeah, I think it was the first one on that production company, yeah. yeah. With none of that. Do you know what the budget was? Go on. on that film? One million. One million? What's that in today's million? standards? Oh, God, no. I mean, I was going to say, you know, the, the, the reason... That Withnall and I would be controversial now is its production. Mm. It wouldn't get made now. No, I did read that the director took the because one of the producers didn't think it was going to be funny enough, and the director took him to one side and said, "Yeah, just get to fuck. This is going yeah. to be funny. Let's just yeah. let me do it." Yeah, yeah that, that's actually in the documentary. He's, oh, is he's, it? He says, "If if you seriously want to remake this film in that way, I'll walk." Right. So the director was, you know, willing to walk. Yet to me. What is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. No, no women neither. No women neither. Well, last up, as always, we rate the film out of five. Can I ask you, Ian, are you familiar with the star system of rating films? I think so. Out of five. (laughs) Okay, forget what you know. Now we're going to rate the film out of five scoops. Okay. And there, there, will right. be no, there will be no halves, there will be no points. Whole scoops. Okay. A seat in Sheffield is going to give with Neil and I... Oh, it's, it's a five scoops. Five scoops, five is scooper. it? five Of course it is. Okay. It's with Neil and I. Right. I would say four. No, no, mm. no. No, on no, what, no. On what basis? Well, why does it lose a star? I think there's elements of it that... I don't think it needs to be t- almost two hours. I think 90 minutes would suffice. I think sometimes the comedy gets dragged out a bit too much. They don't need to drive in the rain for five minutes, for example. It's not that funny. Maybe it was in the 80s, but times have changed, baby. I don't know. I'd watch them drive for 20 minutes. <laughs> I think make it two hours seven. <laughs> well, we're all done here. My ice cream is done but melted and I'm... Piss as a fart <laughs> with all these cocktails. Just to finish up, where can people find you? What's the Instagram page? Uh, yeah, it's um, a seat in Sheffield, and that's all one one word. So cool. Thanks very much for doing this. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you. I'm gonna turn this off and say bye. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the ice cream. In a bit. Bye-bye. Bye bye. It's bloody over. Follow the Flicks and Scoops podcast on your preferred podcast app and give us a follow at Flicks and Scoops on Instagram and Twitter because I need your pity, please. If you fancy yourself a dab and ice cream making, then all my ice cream recipes are on flicksandscoops.com as well as whatever film writings I could be bothered to put on there. On the show next week, we've got Emma Patmore from the Green Tech Alliance to talk about, um, well, green tech, as well as the film Midsummer. It's a doozy, so don't miss it. Bye. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream. <laughs>